all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're taking your calls during this hour concerning any kind of issues related to your health or topics that you need answered. The number that you can call to reach us this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Do hope everybody's having a good morning. Uh, certainly, we want to give you a, a chance to ask any healthcare questions that you might have. But of course... Uh, at the top of the list is COVID-19, sort of where we are in the state and in the nation uh, and wh- how things are going. Maybe a couple of uh, different uh, questions that you might have. I got a, a couple of email questions and I wanted to touch base on uh, a couple of issues that have come up, both with questions that we've received from our patients here uh, in clinic and then uh, just some common things that come up. So, as you know, we're well into uh, social distancing here at, in the state, sort of the shelter at home. Uh, proclamation from the governor. And uh, again, this is to distance ourselves, not just from the people who are um, symptomatic, those who have fever, cough, or shortness of breath. Uh, but we do know that er- particularly early on in the course of in- the infection, there are individuals that do not have symptoms. And in some cases, they'll go the full course of the illness without symptoms, but they can potentially pass that virus on. So that's that's important to uh, realize as we're trying to combat this with distancing. It's hard. Uh, I know it's been difficult for most uh, everybody. I have uh, have a couple of patients that uh, have real uh, psychosocial issues from this, anxiety, depression. Uh, it is incredibly difficult to do this and not have the social supports that we all have. I think after this is over, we should realize that and say, you know, uh, look, look at how important those connections are uh, to our, our mental health. Uh, but there are also, um, also other things that are going on. We can see a little bit of a a blunting in the curve. I know everybody's probably familiar with the curves that we've seen. Uh, most up-to-date information. Uh, again, this is probably depending on what your tracking devices are. I just downloaded this from the CDC website and the Mississippi state department uh, of health websites. Here in Mississippi, we've got a little over 2,000 cases now that have been confirmed with testing uh, and about uh, 67 deaths from COVID-19. Nationally, we're up to uh, almost 400,000 cases now with about 12,000 deaths. So that's not too unexpected, particularly in those areas that have large concentrations of people like New York City. Uh, Larger cities throughout the U.S. have a lot more opportunity the, the more crowded the location, again, the easier it is for this virus to pass from person to person. But um, a, 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 I guess a positive is that 
Um, we some of the prediction models that are out there that we're using to sort of predict what our resource allocation are, at least in Mississippi, has gone down pretty uh, pretty considerably in the last couple of weeks. And as you know, uh, the social distancing, closing down certain businesses, and then the shelter at home are intended to do just that. So, um, they, you know, about two to three weeks ago, looking at, at one prediction model, there were uh, predicted to be about a thousand uh, deaths from COVID-19 in the state of Mississippi. Now we're looking at about 300, way too many. I uh, don't want to minimize that at all. And, and if you uh, or your family has already been impacted by this, my condolences go to you. This is something that our entire state will feel. But we look for every kind of opportunity to, uh, to say, hey, we're doing a little bit better in some areas uh, and to remind us why we're doing what we're doing, because it's, it can be hard sometimes to sustain that. Um, if we look at prediction models of about when our peak resource use would be here in the state, in other words, how many hospital beds do we have available? How many ICU beds? How many ventilators do we have? That's going to be about eight days from now. So that's April the 16th is our predicted peak of use and we've uh, those those peak numbers of resources have actually gone down a good bit too so that's good news uh, for the, the the things that we have in place um, peak death rate per day that's going to be a little bit after that so probably about 10 days from now 10 to 11 days from now is when we should see that so a little bit of a blunting of that curve that should bolster everybody uh, to continue doing what they're doing I think it is having an impact definitely on this virus. It's also had an impact on our hospitalized cases of influenza. Uh, that's not too surprising since both of those viruses are transmitted similarly. Um, speaking of ventilators, uh, you may have seen in the news that a group of, uh, of doctors from uh, UMMC, uh, particularly one anesthesiologist, Dr. Anderson, uh, developed a ventilator when uh, a few weeks ago when there was a uh, worry that we may not have enough ventilators for the maximum number of patients. And it's interesting how he developed this. He basically went to some hardware stores, to places like Home Depot, Lowe's, and got the supplies. And because he is an anesthesiologist and knows intimately about how this machine works, uh, basically built a bare bones ventilator that can actually work. Uh, it is being tested and it's being, uh, there's approval pathways to use this device, uh, devices actually. So he's, uh, they've, uh, he and his team have manufactured about 170 of these right now to use. If we got down to uh, low resources, we could use these in a pinch. They don't have a lot of the, the capabilities that our usual ventilators do with a lot of the alarm systems and such, but uh, they do have a lot of advantages. You could use them in rooms. Uh, but just just goes to show you the ingenuity of Mississippians that we can uh, we certainly can when we put our heads together about things and we have problems uh, we can solve those. Incidentally, those those ventilators uh, cost less than a hundred dollars to make. That is well under the thousands upon thousands of dollars that they usually uh, would go into that. So. Uh, a little bit of uh, ingenuity, uh, or a lot of ingenuity, that goes into that um, by our team here at UMMC. The number to call today, if you have a question about anything related to your health, uh, COVID or otherwise, you can call us at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven 
672-7464. If you're not able to call and you do have a question, you can always email us. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. I want to go to a couple of... Oh, go ahead, Kevin. I was going to just say, we do have a couple of emails to get to. Uh, the first one asks, can you get COVID-19 more than once, or is it like chicken pox where you can only get it once? That's a great question about... And, and it, we don't know the total answer to this, but what we know about coronaviruses is that you, once you get it, you do seem to have some immunity for a certain amount of time after you get it. It is possible, as, and I think the, probably the, the best analogy of this would be for the flu. So if you think about the flu, sometimes individuals can get the flu within the same season. Certainly people who have uh, immunological problems or conditions uh, where they're being treated in such a way that, that decreases the ability of their immune system to mount up an immunologic response, say chemotherapy, some medications that are used for autoimmune diseases. Those people are, are much uh, at a much higher risk of getting those, uh, getting a, a repeat infection. But, uh, you know, there, there were two other um, uh, outbreaks, I guess you could call them, of coronaviruses. We've talked about coronaviruses a lot, but basically they're one of the common um, causes of the common cold every year. But these, this is the third time that we've had one that causes more severe illness. The first being in 2002 with uh, SARS or it's S-A-R-S. So that's severe acute respiratory syndrome. And that lasted um, about, it had to, the first season it came through, it was pretty bad. We had a lot of people who died from that and had severe cases of uh, respiratory illness. Uh, that seemed to go away in about two years. We really haven't seen a spike in that. MERS uh, is Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, is another form of coronavirus, another type of coronavirus that came up in 2012. We're still seeing that in pockets, mainly in other countries, um, in small pockets. But uh, the, the first wave after it went through, there were much less cases. So we're hoping that coronavirus is going to be like that. Um, of course, if we do, are successful in developing a vaccine, that would be great. Uh, against this. A lot of uh, interest and work going on right now in that. But uh, for what we know about coronaviruses and sort of the patterns, we're hoping that if you are infected, uh, that most, if not all of the people might not get it again, uh, at least in, the, in that same season. And that would have a huge effect, even on those people who could get it. If we get about 60% to 80% of the population that are immune to this, then you have a much less chance of it spreading uh, in the ways that it's spreading right now. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Uh, we are uh, taking your calls this morning on any kind of health issue that might be near and dear to you right now. Uh, any kind of question, of course, we realize that COVID-19 questions are, uh, are uh, replete out there, and we certainly want to be available to answer those. But if you have something else that's on your mind, then um, just let me know and uh, let us know, and uh, you can call us this morning, or you can send an email. We're always uh, receiving those, whether or not we're on the air live or not. There, uh, the email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, yep, Dr. Jimmy, we've got another email here and then uh, three calls waiting, so we've got a lot of content to get through here. Uh, this is an interesting one because it's one that I kind of wondered about as well, and the question is, to combat COVID-19, is it best to use antibacterial soap or just regular soap? And then a couple of follow-ups after that. Yeah, that's a common one that I'm getting to. So uh, there's a lot of confusion out there about how you can do hand washing and you know, I think from the beginning, we said, yes, we need to wash our hands. That can help the spread, help prevent the spread of viruses uh, in, in general and specifically for COVID-19. But you need to, be, to do it correctly and with the, the, correct, uh, the correct materials. Well, the good news is you don't really have to buy a fancy antibacterial soap. So a soap or a detergent will work just fine. Soaps work uh, by disrupting the coating, which is a lipid bilayer of the viral capsid. So these viruses are very simple in the way that their structure is, but they have this lipid layer. So it's made out of fat. A lipid just means fat. So it's a fatty layer. It's two ply. Okay. Not one ply, but two ply. And that, that layer gets disrupted when you expose it to something like soap. So soap disrupts that layer very effectively. You don't have to use the antibacterial soaps. Uh, they are effective in killing the virus, but also just just plain old soap is uh, and water is fine. So it's recommended that you use uh, warm water. Don't have to use hot water. Sometimes I can scald your hands and break down the skin so that you're more likely to get it. Uh, but basically, uh, you vigorously scrub your hands with the soap and the water for 20 seconds, um, at least 20 seconds, and then wash that off and then dry your hands. Uh, of course, be careful what you turn on and off. Uh, I use, I dry my hands. I use that same paper towel to turn off the, the water. That way I'm not retouching what I touched to begin with. Uh, but yeah, you don't have to use the antibacterial soap. You can use just plain soap, but don't throw out the antibacterial soap if you still have it. But um, yeah, it doesn't have to be that fancy in doing that. And again, these are viruses. Every virus is a little bit different and how it's killed and how long it lives. But thankfully, uh, hand washing seems to do the trick uh, with the coronaviruses. And the one follow-up on the email says, researchers have warned that antibacterial soap is a bad idea because it kills the good bacteria on our skin. In light of COVID-19, is it more important to kill all bacteria or best to continue to preserve the good bacteria and not use the antibacterial soap? Yeah, that's a common misconception about this. So bacteria don't do anything to to uh, defeat or kill the, uh, the, the virus on your, on your hands. So um, there's nothing that bacteria that we have no evidence to suggest that that happens. Uh, 
that there are, quote, good bacteria on your hands that can somehow defeat that. So it's best to get that off of there. And, uh, you know, that's just good common sense with any kind of protection, particularly before and after you handle food uh, and particularly food that you're cooking. And then also before you're going to touch your hands to your face like an eating. So those are those are times that you definitely want to do that. But uh, the antibacterial uh, soaps, again, you don't have to necessarily use those. If you're going to have a lot of angst about that, just get some plain old soap. Just any of the, the major brands or off brands would be fine. Uh, and make sure that you're using proper technique and using that. But uh, as far as good and bad bacteria on the skin, most on the skin are bad. Uh, there is some evidence immunologically that the stuff that we're exposed to there uh, can help develop our immune systems. Uh, but you, you don't need to not wash your hands. Uh, that's not going to prevent you from getting getting illness. There's certainly lots of places around the world that don't have access to soap and water and don't do, use it on a regular basis. And they have very increased risk of infectious diseases. All right, got a couple of calls on the line. Let's start uh, first with uh, Daryl, who's called in from Jackson. Daryl, you're on the air, so go ahead, please. Thank you for calling my answer my call. I don't like to know, does vitamin C, uh, is it effective, and does it help the immune system fighting against coronavirus? So, yeah, the vitamin C question comes up quite a bit, Daryl, uh, or other vitamins and minerals, you know, that, that can uh, potentially boost, a lot of people will use that term, the, uh, the immune system. Uh, that, you know, if you look at vitamin C and, and what it's used by the body to do, there's a lot of uses for it. So it's used in a lot of different pathways. It's, it's used for, uh, normal protein synthesis and cross-linking, uh, a lot of different things, including some of the processes in the immune system. We've never really been able to show that taking vitamin C, particularly in the amounts that a lot of people take it in, really helps you to prevent illnesses. But what we do know is if you don't get enough vitamin C, and a lot of people aren't getting that. I mean, a lot of people, it's not like it used to be like with sailors and scurvy, uh, but a lot, of, a lot of people don't get enough in normal fruits and vegetables. So certainly citrus products, they have a lot of vitamin C there. There's a lot of ways that you can get it. If for some reason you're not able to get it through regular foods, which is probably the best way to get that, I would take just a, a plain old supplement. You can't really, you know, you can have some problems with vitamin C. I mean, a lot of people have stomach upset from taking particularly the mega amounts that people take, but there's just not been a very good study to show that it's going to decrease your risk of some of the things out there that cause the common cold, coronavirus being one of those. Now, certainly you could take it. It's probably not going to harm you except for some of those GI side effects Excess vitamin C is usually excreted in the urine, uh, so it's it's not really something that you can overdose on. But I would, I you know, hey, I, I'm trying to eat my my share of uh, vegetables and fruits, particularly now. Uh, the body just loves that. Uh, that's a good, healthy way to build up your immune system, including good sleep and exercise. You don't want to neglect those other things there. Uh, but uh, all those things can help sort of build up your immune system over time. All right, uh, Daryl, thanks for your call. Next on the line is uh, Craig calling in from Biloxi. Good morning, Craig. Go ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, what kind of lasting effect would a survivor have, uh, like his lung capacity come back? 
Yeah, that's a good question, too. So I've seen some research on, uh, you know, what happens to a person's lungs after they've been affected by this. The vast majority of people don't have any problems. They can go back to regular activities. Similarly, if you had the flu uh, or if you had a common cold, usually, you know, within two to four weeks, most people are back up to where they were before then. Um, but in some individuals, particularly those that already have lung disease, so those individuals that have COPD, that have emphysema, that have asthma, there may be some lasting side effects. And that's just, if, if you're already having lung tissue that's damaged from something else, smokers would be another group of people. That's going to put you at much higher risk for having long-term complications. And again, this is way too new. Uh, most of the, the studies looking at that uh, would take people out and follow them out six to 12 months at least, and then years afterwards. We're going to have that data because of so many people who've had COVID-19, but we don't have it yet. But what we know about other coronaviruses is most people do recover. Uh, SARS, which this is, this is similar to in some ways and not so similar in others. Um, it's similar in that it affects the lungs. Uh, but it's not similar in that uh, COVID has a much more uh, overstimulation, actually, of the immune response in some individuals, particularly if you have other chronic diseases. So uh, jury's still out on that, I would say. But if it, if it follows the same pattern, I, said, I think most people who have this right now um, <clears throat> are going to be fine and not have long-term complications. Good to hear from you, Craig. Uh, This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. If you have a question for Dr. Jimmy about the coronavirus or about your health in general, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Next on the line, we've got Dave in Mobile. Go ahead, Dave. You're on the air. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, Quick question about cleaning surfaces. Can you use a diluted solution with Clorox and water to effectively clean a surface? Yeah, that is a, uh, that's an excellent question, too. So there's many ways that you can clean those surfaces, and surfaces are important. That's one of the main transmissions of this. If you think about particularly harder surfaces, ones that uh, can retain liquids for a longer period of time, um, doorknobs, uh, in our kitchen, certainly on our tabletops, all those, uh, you know, all those surfaces can hold this sometimes uh, several days, depending on the, the type of surface. Now, again, good news, you can use a number of things. The CDC website has some alternative cleaning solutions that you can make up at home. You mentioned some of the things that they actually suggest. So a bleach solution uh, is fine. Uh, again, soap and water is really good. You can take uh, a solution of soap and water, you know, just uh, if you agitate the soap in a water solution in a bucket or a container, uh, put a rag on that clean rag in that and then wipe down those surfaces, uh, you'll get the same effect as you do with your hand. So all that's, you know, all that's really useful in destroying the virus. Uh, any of the household cleaners like Clorox, 409, those should uh, kill all those viral particles if, as long as you uh, spray it down and wipe it down really, really well. But that, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things that, you know, we, everybody focuses on one or two of the ways that we can protect ourselves. Uh, I think everybody's focusing on masks a lot, but if we don't focus on these other things, a mask is not going to help you if you touch these surfaces 
and then you touch your face, particularly your nose or your mouth or your eyes, uh, that's certainly uh, one of the ways you can transmit it. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you live via Skype uh, at University of Mississippi Medical Center trying to practice our uh, social distancing and not getting out and about. And uh, thank goodness for technology where we can do this and uh, we can continue to, to get the word out on things that are affecting your health uh, through Southern Remedy, but also to take your questions live uh, on a day-to-day basis. So, Kevin, what do we got next? Uh, our next caller wishes to remain anonymous. So go ahead. You're on the air with us. Uh, hello. I enjoy your show, and I hope this is not outside your area of expertise. <laughs> but uh, my wife has um, slipped into a schizoid episode again. I don't know if her medicine is not working right or if it's the stress of this uh, pandemic. But uh, she's been talking to or talking about uh, relatives of hers that are long dead, still being alive, going shopping and saw them on TV and so forth. And she does not recognize me as her husband. Um, Now I've dealt with this for several years, but it's just really never occurred to me to ask, do I uh, confront her with reality or do I go along with the uh, delusions that she's having? And uh, I'll hang up and, and take your answer. Sure. Now, that, that's an extremely difficult uh, condition for a caregiver, a family member to deal with. So uh, psychiatric conditions can be uh, frustrating because they have emotional overlays and those emotional overlays and the way that patients sometimes uh, um, reach out to family members, to loved ones, uh, the way that they uh, act out sometimes is a direct result of what's going on in the brain and what's going on with the underlying condition and not a true reflection of that, that person's uh, personality uh, or who they really are underneath the surface. So it can be extremely difficult to deal with. What we know about psychiatric conditions is that there are triggers sometimes. You can have uh, a condition that's well controlled over time with medication, with uh, psychotherapy with uh, all kinds of different different things that you can do. But if you have increased stressors, which certainly uh, I don't care who you are right now, you've got some increased stressors out there. I mean, we've got a lot of resiliency in people, but uh, with the, the things that are going on right now, 
there's a lot of, of things that are that are increased stressors in our lives, and that can certainly trigger a worsening of a psychiatric condition. Um, now, how you as a caregiver interacts with with her is going to be different than how a medical professional does that. Uh, and I think you have to you have to realize the differences there. Uh, so certainly you can get tools from a healthcare professional, from a psychiatrist, if it's uh, schizoid uh, disorder or schizoaffective disorder. That's something that I, I think a psychiatrist could, should probably be the person who's taking care of that patient or at least consulted on. Um, they're going to be able to give you some techniques about how you can sort of bring that person back to reality. Uh, now, there are situations I know I'm not a psychiatrist. But uh, there are some situations where if you do that, uh, the patient can be belligerent. They can have uh, episodes of anger. Uh, so certainly you have to be sensitive to that. But I would I would first of all connect with uh, with her psychiatrist and say, uh, describe what's going on. Ask those specific questions about what you can do during these episodes. And just because we've limited uh, pretty much everywhere our outpatient visits, in the state of Mississippi, one of the again, one of the um, the good things about our state is that we're uh, we're ahead of the game in some things, and telehealth is one of those that we are, had already started to explore in lots of different areas. Uh, we've expanded those services. Uh, the regulatory uh, statutes around those services has loosened a little bit during the crisis, so that we can extend those out to patients, and that may be something that a psychiatrist can offer. Uh, is um, is a visit where you can stay at home, where she can stay at home, and they can do a televisit, uh, either audio or preferably audio-visual, so they can see what's going on, talk to y'all, maybe make some adjustments in medications, and then certainly you could ask questions. Uh, you could probably call back and ask questions about some of the ways that you can interact with that patient. Uh, it's always hard when we have somebody we love, and uh, it's uh, that they're going through something like that. We, you want to do everything you can. Uh, and again, there's those emotional overlays where they may say or do something that if they were uh, totally, uh, if their, their underlying psychiatric condition were managed uh, to the point where they were doing well, they would not act like that. Uh, so you have to keep that in mind. Um, it's sort of like a, a two-year-old saying, I hate you. Uh, but you know they don't really mean that. They're just trying to, to do, they're doing something. That's the way that their brain is currently wired. They're not able to think through all uh, the non-concrete um, uh, ways of, and the abstract ways of, uh, of thinking that they need to, to know the emotional impact of that. They're just trying to get something. Uh, same kind of thing sometimes with psychiatric illness. That's just the way the brain's working in a maladaptive way. Uh, to, to do something. Uh, so I would get help for that. I would ask specific questions about how you could interact with them. Again, if they do an audiovisual visit, they're going to have more information because they're going to know and see the behavior that she's exhibiting and know how best you can interact. All right. We thank you for that call. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. If you have a question for Dr. Jimmy this morning, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Next on the line, Virginia from West Point. Good morning, Virginia. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I have a uh, question about um, when a person is 
told to self-isolate and, and they have not really returned with a diagnosis of having the uh, COVID-19 virus and they start to show signs of being lethargic and lose their appetite. Is there anything, what do, would you recommend uh, that could be done for that person? Yeah, just because they don't have COVID-19 doesn't mean we want to suspend all care, right? So uh, so we need, I mean, that's something that's that's an, an issue that needs to be investigated. Uh, again, there may be some different ways to do that. Uh, when, when somebody says lethargic, I usually interpret that as, um, you know, somebody who is not, you're not able to wake them up, who's sleepy all the time, certainly losing weight and having a decreased appetite, that can also play into other illnesses. So just because it's not COVID-19 doesn't mean something else may be going on. Um, I would call, uh, you know, their, their, their physician or their medical provider and say, just describe the symptoms that are going on. If, if it is something that's similar to COVID-19, we, we've stratified patients here in, in different categories as best to treat them well, to diagnose them accurately and to treat them. Um, so the, the whole reason for not coming to an office or a clinic or uh, a hospital if you don't have COVID-19 is we don't want to, we, we want to identify those people who have it and isolate them and treat them appropriately so that it doesn't spread to the rest of the hospital. Hospital is a terrible place to have an outbreak, as is a nursing home or other places where you have sicker individuals. But I would call your physician and just say, hey, these are the symptoms that's going on. Uh, how do you want to best do that? They may want to see the patient. They may try to do an audiovisual visit if that's if you have that capability and if they have that capability. Um, but they, you do need to reach out just because it's uh, I think we've got sort of tunnel vision a little bit about COVID-19. And there's lots of other issues out there. There's uncontrolled diabetes and hypertension. Uh, and autoimmune diseases and new things that pop up during this time. We don't want to ignore them. We want to adequately address those issues as they come up. It's just a little bit more challenging right now in how we do that. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go ahead and call uh, your your physicians or their physician's office about those things. All right, Virginia, we appreciate your call. Next on the line, we've got Mary in Coldwater. Mary, it's your turn. Go ahead, please. Hey, Mary. Oh, thank you so much for this wonderful show. It's, oh, you're welcome. It's such a, um, you can listen, 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 but to be able to interact and have your very own um, issues dealt with is, is really wonderful. So thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm wondering, I have two, two, two questions, they're short. Um, I don't go out much. I do my best to stay at home. I'm 75. And um, But when I do go out, I wear a mask and I wear uh, gloves. And then when I get back in the car, and I, I've, I've studied to take the gloves off so I can take them off, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the right way. But what I'm wondering is I have Clorox wipes in my car. And I get in and I, and I, and I wipe every, you know, my everything that you can think of down that I've, that I've touched or that I may have touched. And then I wipe my gloves off. I wipe, you know, wipe them from stem to stern before I take them off, make sure they've all been covered with the Clorox. Do I have to throw those drugs away or are the, are the germs killed on them? Can I just use them again? 
What kind of gloves are they? They're um, they're they're very slender um, plastic gloves that you can see through. There, I tell you what they are. They were given to me by. I have to inject medicine, and they were given to me by my doctor to use use to inject my um, cholesterol medicine. Yeah. So uh, you you might be able to reuse those, um, you know, just to try to conserve resources. I, the only hesitation I would have is sometimes those, the, the chemicals in the wipes, particularly alcohol, can break down the material of those gloves uh, right. yeah, over time. Uh, so, right. you, you know, that would that would sort of decrease your risk of, you know, the, the risk of reusing them. Uh, I would say. Probably, you know, at home, certainly if nobody else is there, nobody's coming in and out, you certainly wouldn't need to wear them just when you go out. I would say maybe, you know, put them in your car uh, out of the sun or, you know, as you get in your car, I'd probably put them there. And then when you get to where you're going, I'd put them on and then take them off. That'll limit, you know, how, how long you have them on. Because if, if you're wiping down everything, generally speaking, that's one of the protocols. As you take off personal protective equipment, which is gloves, gowns, all those things, it doesn't have to be from a health professional. Gloves can certainly help. You're doing, it sounds like, the, the correct thing and wiping everything down as you do that. But as you take right. those off, washing your hands or wiping your hands, that's fine. Now your hands don't have, you know, any kind of contact with things. And maybe even having a bag that you put those gloves in, like a little paper bag, uh, uh-huh. so that you can, you, know, you don't have, they don't have to touch anything else, the outside at least. Um, but you probably will, whether you, um, you know, wipe them down or not, the gloves like that have a limited lifespan. Again, a lot of it is temperature, how much you use them. Certainly if they become torn, that's not going to be of much use and you need to get some more. But I would say at the most, uh, three days to a week, depending on how much you're getting out. If you're not getting out a whole lot, it's probably okay to reuse them a couple of times and they can last you a couple of weeks. Great. Yeah. No, I only basically go to the post office, but um, also I'm I'm um, just for everybody's information. I'm ordering uh, a lot of staples from Amazon, and they have toilet paper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of people have found that. You're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. And I have one short question. Uh, I have a, a, a derelict trailer on my property. And I'm getting rid of it next week, but I have a crew coming in to um, to check it, to clear it out. Clear, you know, it has to be completely cleaned out. And neither, they don't believe in their, uh, they don't believe in wearing masks and gloves and all like that. Is there any way that I can safely go in after to make sure that they've done a good job, or do I just have to trust them? I think you can do that. I wouldn't, I probably would stay in And again, about six feet away from them. Uh, you can go in, just try not to, if you're just going to go in and take a look, that should be okay. Just limit your time in there. It shouldn't take too much, too long to look. Um, but I would just, you know, stay at least six feet away from them. If there's a lot of people there, just wait until they're through. And it's, Hey, it's okay to say, Hey, look, I'm trying to protect myself. Um, you know, I'm, I want to go in afterwards though, and make sure that you've done everything uh, sort of up, up to standards, and um, I think that that should be relatively low risk to do that. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you, answering your questions this morning about COVID-19 and other healthcare questions. The number to call if you have a question is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always, if I know we've been rushing through questions, trying to give everybody some time to, to ask it and to answer those. But if you missed something or wanted to hear the program again, you can always uh, go to MPB online. Uh, and search for Southern Remedy. We do archive these programs after about a day or so, so you can go back and listen to the entire program or previous programs if you'd like. Let's go to V in Waynesboro. Good morning, V. Good morning. I'm um, concerned, and would you speak on the topic African Americans and COVID uh, due to the disparities in health care services and the concern of the health department? Uh, regarding the number of African-Americans contracting the virus and dying. Yeah, this this is a huge concern. And and actually, it was a concern for a lot of people even before we had cases in the state. So uh, as we know, unfortunately, there are are discrepancies in uh, how African-Americans as a group are affected by many health conditions. Uh, and and they have worse outcomes as a group for things like heart failure, stroke, um, uh, diabetes. All of these uh, seem to affect them a lot worse than than other groups of people. Um, so we are starting to see that now. I don't know that I, I've looked at a little bit of the. I haven't seen the data down into the into the weeds into the details whether it is due to a much higher prevalence of say, diabetes and hypertension and other chronic diseases in African-Americans. Uh, so we, we knew we had increased uh, um, uh, prevalence of that in the state already with African-Americans. So I, it'll, be, um, it'll be really good to follow up that data. I think the biggest thing is if you are African-American 
and you start to have symptoms, think of yourself as in a high risk group. Uh, if you have fever, cough, shortness of breath, call your physician, call a clinic. There are mobile clinics that have great ways to, uh, to triage patients to see what type of testing and if they need testing. Uh, not everybody does need testing, but um, that would be a situation, particularly with the data that we're getting right now, that uh, we're going to take it a little bit more seriously. I think if, if I'm going to have one of my African-American patients call me, I may say, uh, uh, let's lean towards doing uh, a little bit more uh, just because of some increased risk. So um, hopefully, um, you know, we know a lot of the reasons why uh, African-Americans have hypertension at higher levels and diabetes. Uh, sometimes we don't. Uh, we know that it's not just in the diagnosis and treatment, although there are some discrepancies there as well. We need to work on that. We need to, again, look at our patients uh, in such a way that uh, we, we see the entire risk that's involved. But from a patient standpoint, if you were an African-American, I would say for all our listeners, uh, have a pretty low threshold for calling your physician and at least re reporting that. Best thing they could say is, you know, I think you're you're doing okay. Call me back if your symptoms worse. But uh, uh, best best scenario is you get treatment earlier, uh, a, a supportive treatment earlier. You have a better chance of, of beating something like this. So, excellent thing to uh, to bring up. Thank you, V, for that call. Let's get one final call in for the hour, and it is. Catherine's calling in from Mobile. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. A quick question. I uh, am an older lady. I live alone. I'm a widow and have lots of friends who are in the same situation. Some of my friends have just become obsessed with wiping things down in their homes. Even though they're like me, they're not going out except maybe to the store once a week or something like that. And we're wearing masks, we're wearing gloves, we throw the gloves away after we use them. How obsessed or how much should people like us or just anyone that's not having anyone come in and out of their home be wiping everything down? I just think it's overdone. So that's my question. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, if it And you said all the key points. I mean, this is a virus that doesn't float around in the air, travel, you know, large distances. Um, you have to have contact with somebody who has that virus. So if you don't have anybody coming in and out and it's just you, and when you go out, you take all those precautions, you're wearing a mask that has changed within the last week or so, been recommended now if you're going to go out. Uh, say to the grocery store or to uh, the um, uh, pharmacy, uh, go to the bank if you need to. Those kinds of places definitely would do that. Wearing gloves is an extra protection, making sure you take those off. If you said you're throwing those away, I'd wash my hands, maybe have some alcohol uh, gel uh, with me while I did that. And then when you come back home, uh, you should be fine. Like you don't have to wipe down those surfaces, you know, 24 seven, uh, every hour. If nobody's coming in and out, that virus is not going to get into your home like that. And if you're not bringing it in from the outside, that's the only other way that it could come in. Uh, so those are the, the best strategies for doing that. I think you're right. I think we, we get, uh, and again, it's something you can do, right? I mean, I get it. It's if you're sitting at home and there's not much to do anyway, uh, that's something else you at least feel like you're doing something. Certainly not going to cause any harm, 
but it's certainly not anything you need to obsess about to the extent where you're doing that over and over again. So good point. If you're there by yourself, that's okay. Same thing about outside, you know, the individual activities outside, you're safe. I see people with masks on and there's nobody else around. That, that's If you're trying to prevent COVID, as long as people are away from you, you don't really need to wear that mask. So uh, just uh, take precautions, but uh, we need to understand the meaning and, and what those precautions uh, are used for. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere.